All right, welcome to another episode of New Wine Uncorked. Again, I'm uh, Matt Farlow. I'm here with Tony Wynn and Phil Berlin, and we're stoked to be with you again. Over these last few weeks, we've had the ability and the privilege and opportunity to discuss church life. Uh, way back, one of the first episodes, Phil and I, um, when we introduced New Wine Uncorked, we were talking about Imago Day and the reality of Imago Day that the human is created in the image of God. There's not one human that is not created in the image of God. So this is all inclusive. And so when the Christian starts talking about the human or the neighbor or enemy, it's not outside of the purview of being created in God's image. And so with that in mind, uh, we are talking, uh, the three of us were talking, and just any person who is in the church today, the idea of you, being created in the same image of God that I'm created in uh, means that we are all inextricably, inextricably linked. And so uh, Dr. King would talk about this all the time, that uh, just injustice anywhere is, you know, injustice everywhere, that uh, the, the breadth and the depth of our lives are all interwoven. And so we are interconnected. And this goes back into the truth of our relational creation. So we are all relational. And this is a hard thing today's church because uh, early, before we started recording, Phil uh, and I were talking and Tony was talking about what's going on in Portland, okay, and some of the protests. And it's hard when someone purports this idea or an ideology that we don't agree with, and yet to love the person is what we're still called to do. And so today, uh, we want to continue this discussion about authenticity in the church. What does it mean to be an authentic Christian? Um, there's been books, a number of books that have gone into this, uh, the new Christian, uh, the authentic Christian. Um, you know, I'm sure we could come up with a creative uh, multitude of create, creative titles and go on to see a Christian book distributor and find that those titles are used when dealing with Imago Dei. Um, but what does it mean to be authentic? Okay. And so we were looking at this in this continuing discussion of authenticity. So is the church, so my question is, and this is, so I don't care which one of you wants to jump in first, but is the church today authentic? Meaning, yeah. uh, oh, you go, you, you jump in. Oh. I don't, I don't, <laughs> they're defined. So what do you think about the authenticity? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um, just watching the church now and just thinking that many of us can, put on our churchiosity for a couple hours on Sunday versus um, just the contrast of being truly talking to God on a regular basis, truly having respect and honor for those who are just other Christians and just other people in general, and just truly having, having that just love for just the word of God on a regular basis is something that is something that um, I don't know if it's lacking, but it's something that I don't think we always see. Because we typically, I mean, just think about now, we, we, we lost the ability to be able to go to church on a regular basis because of COVID-19, right in the middle of it. And the churches that are, I mean, and the first thought for many churches was, hey, let's get together and um, let's have our worship leader and our pastor come and do those things. But then the idea of community and connection and just connection on the regular basis are things that were, that churches had to figure out. Um, so one of the things for me that's been really life-giving during this entire time 
has just been connecting up with the brothers and sisters in Christ that I know of. Um, I'm I'm in two book clubs. I have a Thursday night group that I get together with and and another group that I get together with on Sunday just to pray. And we do this all over Zoom. Um, I guess one group we meet in, we do meet in person because we're all in Portland. So, um, but those have been the most life-giving things. And that to me is just as real as a church gathering where it's not totally tied into couple hundred couple thousand people getting together with the sound system and guitars and keyboards and whatever else we have there so but just the ability to get together and actually bear one another's burdens and be together that's to me the authentic church so yeah no thank you phil i i that's what's been giving me uh sustenance throughout this whole pandemic is having a group of brothers and sisters um to walk with through just the craziness and I think to your guys's initial conversation um, on the Mago Day, it's to say that there is no um, authentic or inauthentic image bearer of God because we're all made in the image of God. Um, but I think as when it comes to Christianity, um, a lot of the missional theorists are like, church theologians that I have, I've been following on Twitter. That's my, my guilty <laughs> pleasure. Um, they'll say that we, we are coming to a space where we need to um, be able to differentiate between the contending Christianities, which is to say, yes, we're, we're all for Jesus's prayer in John that we would become one as he and the father are one. But I think oftentimes we use that as a overarching blanket statement to uh, nullify or mask um, our differences. And our differences are oftentimes antithetical. Um, they're not just tension points, but they're, they're anatomically just, yeah, different. And so I think in, in, in talking about authentic or inauthentic churches or inauthentic Christianities, we need to talk about the, the contending Christianities. Um, because we, we have a faction of the church that is so focused on labeling any movement towards social justice or racial reconciliation as cultural Marxism. But what is cultural Marxism? I don't have any idea what cultural Marxism is. And as a seminary student, I pride myself on having read most of fill in the blank. And so I just, in, I think in my research as a student, I have yet to come across the, an academic term uh, that, that describes a movement as, or a school of thought as cultural Marxism. Um, uh, and so to have these labels and, become the enemy and to have a Christianity that stands in opposition to that, I think there are contending Christianities. So this is never to cast aspersion and say somebody who professes faith in Jesus, it belongs to contending Christianity, but for us to be faithful proclaimers of the gospel, I think there is something to be said about not doing it lightheartedly, or heavy-handedly, but to assess and say, man, there are contending Christianities in the current moment we live in. 
One more thing, Tony, in, in connection with what you were just saying. Um, when talking about contending Christianities, as you explained, um, I think even more so what we see today is in the sense of just evangelical Christianity, just feeling that we're being oppressed from all sides on a regular basis. Um, and just that being a thing where everything becomes competition against what the truth of the gospel actually is and, and becomes a rival. And when it comes to even just uplifting, you know, just jumping into social change and, and saying that my Christianity impacts my politics um, outside of abortion and, and whatever, what, whatever our issues are, um, family and abortion, right? Um, <laughs> these things become the things that rival Christianity rather than simply saying, and not even just asking where would Jesus be today? Not even just saying we're hurting people today. We're just consistently sitting back and saying, what are the things that we're against and not actually saying what we're for and anything that we're against is oppressing us. And, and it's, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, that's a part of the inauthentic Christianity where we're actually not really trying to be who Jesus is. We're firmly standing for people and really trying to, you know, just demonstrate where God is showing his love. So. Yeah, and I, I don't know if either one of you saw, it's interesting that you bring up this, uh, um, the unity, uh, you know, Tony, that you're talking about in John 17, and then Phil, this uh, idea of this we oppressedness, you know, so it's almost as if the church today has taken the unity and said, oh, well, our unity is that we are oppressed, you know, that everyone is pressing in against us. And, and it's interesting, because I don't know if you, uh, either one of you saw um, the report from John MacArthur. Um, and so his church here in California has said uh, re resolutely uh, to the governor, no, we are not going to take the mandate of not meeting because this is our freedom. And so in this like almost a contentious attitude has basically given the finger to the, to the government, you know, and said, no, we, you can't do this. And, and, and they always do it under the guise of freedom of religion, right? Uh, which is interesting because some of the, the most um, staunch uh, uh, and aggressive um, folks against some of the representatives, I, I think the, the ladies of the squad I'm thinking of from the Democratic side, some of the folks that press in from the Republican side against them go at their religion, you know? And so it's freedom of religion as long as you are not you know those religions it's our religion meaning christianity and so macarthur's stance and he literally said is that uh, talking about the 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 oppressed people are us the church we are and we are the original protesters the problem is is what is that talk about a short-sighted history right what is that uh, the reformation we're talking just 1600s maybe you know so it's like if you're gonna go with uh, the we are the oppressed or we are the original protesters, at least take it maybe to third, fourth century, you know, with <laughs> this idea of when Christendom was. And, and because we get into these labelings, right? This post-Christian world, which again, like the, the idea of the Marxist community and, and this stuff, I don't know what that means, right? Like uh, what is post-Christian Christendom, you know? Um, and when was uh, Christendom, was it ever in the States? You know, so when it comes to authenticity, it feels like, again, there's these contending 
Christianities, right? Um, and so how then does the normal, I, I, normalcy is such a, a weighted word nowadays, but how does the, the Christian who is watching these Twitter feeds, you know, or seeing online nowadays because people are getting a lot of their church stuff online, how do they know then what the authentic message is? You know, um, today on New Wine Tastings, there was a, a episode that was just released with Tony Chris and Metzger was talking with Chris about uh, missional Christianity. And so uh, Tony's big thing is, is the thing that's been lost within Christianity is the proclamation. People aren't proclaiming this idea of evangelism. It's lost. It's the question I have though, is what message, you know, is the proclamation of the church? Um, we all, I think, play to the idea of Imago Dei. And yet, are we proclaiming that you, uh, regardless of what you look like, regardless of who you decide to, to date, you know, whether it's the same gender or not, uh, regardless of your economic status, uh, regardless of whether you're married or not, does the church today legitimately live out this authentic proclamation of the gospel message to each of these people groups? Is that even what the church is doing today? Because like you were saying, Phil, whatever the issues are, pro-life is only pro-life when it comes to the fetus, but then when the baby gets out and if the baby's brown and uh, wasn't born in the United States, that life is not, we're not pro for. Uh, we're okay with even uh, putting them in cages. And that's not even a dig on this current presidency because it's happened in other presidencies, right? So when we allow the government to be our savior, what do they do? They give us this authentic Christianity that is rooted in just un-Christian ways. And so how does then today's Christian not get caught up in that uh, churchianity, Christianity, uh, uh, I can't even remember what creative words you had, Phil, uh, with the, the, the Christianness, but how do we know though? What is the proclamation? What is the what, what do you think is the message that the church is giving off today? And is that in accordance with what the Bible says? The proclamation that of the church that should be. It's great to say, and I totally appreciate what you're saying, Tony. Unity, John 17. But what does that even mean? You know? Yeah, I got a couple of ideas. because I think we complicate that, um, especially in this day and age, um, going back to kind of the social movements and the like connected to the church now, where I think in some regard, we can kind of overcorrect it, where we, where we become kind of the social movements as well. And then we think, all right, you know, if, if you're not a part of this wholeheartedly without any objection, question, or the like, that, uh, that you're not doing the gospel, when that's not necessarily the case either. Um, Jesus consistently stood in a place where the crowd was with him and then against him. And then the religious elite was with him and then against him, but mostly against him, right? And Jesus stayed, stood in a unique place where the father stood. And in many ways that brought healing, that brought life, that brought forgiveness, and that opened the door for, for people to turn to the father. And so that is the kind of the place where the church needs to be. Um, that's, that's kind of the place where we need to be, where we stand in the middle of culture, 
We're a consistent critic to those who are overstepping and those who are falling short and consistently saying, hey, the love of God actually rests here. So for some of you, you may need to take a step back. For some of you, you need to take a step up. But still in all, as we stand in a unique place where we can demonstrate that the gospel and that God is right here and this is where his love is. So that's the, that's the thing I think that as a church that we kind of forget. We, in, in many ways, we forgot kind of what the gospel is because we're looking at what we're against or we're too much into everything. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I'm with Phil on that. I think somewhere along the way, we've mistaken um, how we're saved. We're saved by the personal work of Jesus, not our fidelity to our proclamation of Jesus's personhood and life, death, and resurrection. And so we've, we've made Christianity into uh, an anthropocentric um, work, um, uh, structure where we're so focused on what we believe and what we do that there's no longer, we've kind of snuffed grace out of our vocabulary. There's, Mm -hmm. there's a, an allergy to grace. And I think in looking at like the, the John MacArthur situation, I mean, in his statement, he said churches that are not opening their doors are not real churches. Churches that are obeying the government shutdown have forfeited their right and their acclaim as the bride of Christ. I'm like, wow, like that's, that's strong words. So it's Grace Community Church and then all the fundamental Baptist churches that are the true church, um, whereas uh, everybody else. And and to me, I think that's that's so startling because when we look at the thrust of the the early church and the medieval church, like I think what we see is the gospel is liberative. There's something freeing about hearing the good news proclaimed and then encountering the risen savior. There's something freeing. And so no matter how oppressive your cultural context, your political context or your societal context is, there's this built in um, flexibility that you have, this nimbleness you have as a believer to withstand um, and, and not buckle under that pressure. But what, what I've seen from early 1900 evangelicals till today, there's this persecution complex, there's this fear of being oppressed, and there's no longer this nimbleness. It's almost as if in the escapism of their eschatological system of we need to escape earth because heaven is my real home, they no longer have the muscle to be earthlings they no longer have the the ability to be people of the dirt and they keep thinking that this earth is a straitjacket and and the gospel no longer frees you to live freely on earth but the gospel is your your one-way ticket off of this burning rocket ship and it, it it confounds me because i'm like man we keep talking about how the early Christians had no political power and they withstood the persecution of Rome. And therefore we should not move towards political uh, uh, justice. We should not move towards uh, social justice and the black community and people of color should just, you know, hunker down and be okay of being oppressed because heaven is our home. So, but in that same vein of logic, 
Why then are the same white churches so afraid of being oppressed if they keep telling colored people and black people to just suck it up because heaven's your home? So unless the gospel is insufficient in some area, I, I'm really confused. And I think that's the contending Christianities. I think there, if, if I'm unravel, if I'm going down the rabbit hole, like and unraveling, uh, unraveling a yarn ball, like I feel like that's where I'm trying to make sense of our current like cultural moment. Yeah. I, uh, it's talk about that, uh, uh, the perspectives. Um, I feel like the church is lost because we got so, um, especially in the white evangelical church, but even goes through with the, uh, the, uh, more liturgical denominations, Episcopal, Protestant, uh, Presbyterian, uh, um, Catholic. I feel like the the divide has been the unwillingness to step into the ethos of suffering. You know, uh, so the it, it's interesting. I feel like that one of the things that will not get preached on, and maybe this is um, too bold, uh, too broad of a statement, but I would say in whether it's a, a Hispanic church, whether it's an Asian church, whether it's a black church, whether it's a white church, you don't talk about money, right? In the sense yeah. of where is the primary, your primary money, not just 10%. You know, you say, hey, look, you give your money and, and people still give, but there's a level that you don't take it into. And yet when Jesus talks about servanthood and serving, um, and, and I have to continue with this. I'm, I'm doing this uh, uh, research right now with he, who, when he breaks it down, he says, you cannot serve mammon or money and God. That's like, the, he doesn't ever break it down. So you can't serve one another. You can't serve powers of a, the government. You can't serve whatever other ideologies or, or, or concepts that we put up there that we say we serve. He breaks it down to this like idea of what in especially in America, this consumeristic drive so that the idea of suffering, when you bring suffering and sacrifice into the religious connotation in the, the religious realm a lot. And I'm not saying that um, I believe because a lot of the context that I've been in have been the uh, white evangelical churches within that context. You don't want to bring money into it because you don't want to rattle people especially talking about their finances, vacation. I deserve this, right? So when, and I, I find it interesting in COVID-19 where people cannot get out in vacation or escape. Now all of a sudden we hear the language of oppression. And what oppression is it that you're really speaking of? And I hear what you're saying, Tony, where then all of a sudden this, this white church comes out and says, oh, well, you know, you were standing up and protesting for your oppression, but that wasn't really it. We're really the oppressed because we're not able to live out how we're supposed to. And it goes back with what you were saying, Phil, with this proclamation. Well, how can they proclaim a true gospel if the things that they're hearing on Sunday morning just perpetuate their own comforts, you know, and the need for comfort as opposed to because what if you did live the life of Jesus? Would we not be stepping into the public realm? in the public marketplace and getting spit on and yelled at. Um, it's one thing I think, uh, Phil, that you're saying where you guys get together to bear another burdens. Absolutely. It's a whole nother thing to bear the burdens of people who are spitting on you and who are beating you. And 
I find it fascinating where it's one thing to quote Dr. King, you know, and, and that's been come, become kind of cliche, you know, to the, the white church or, or any kind of other leader, black leader, uh, uh, Mexican leader, brown leader, any white leader, to quote Dr. King has now become what used to be 10 years ago. If you wanted to seem like you were with it, you quoted C.S. Lewis, uh, maybe even Bonhoeffer, right? Uh, but when you started to get extreme and edgy, you were bringing in some of these supposed outside theologians, right? You bring in a female theologian, someone like Bart, that's considered hyper, you know. Uh, but now, when they quote King, you have a selection that you want to quote, right? You don't want to be quoting the stuff where he's like saying, hey, look, really what the church community has to learn from the black community is how to suffer and how to suffer with what did the, the, on, on the plantations, the slaves were suffering and what were they doing? They weren't cursing God. They were cr coming up with these crazy hymns and saying joy to the Lord. It's like, that seems to me to be authentic. And so why not step into the past of that, you know? And yes, step into the Reformation times with Luther and Calvin and see, oh, wait, there's similarities there when you suffer on behalf. And so I'm wondering too, with our authenticity, have we kind of steered away from the ethos of suffering? Because to be authentic in suffering, let's be realistic, it sucks ass to have someone coming down and pressing down on you. And you're like, dude, I'm just trying to love you, brother. And they're just like, wham, wham, screw you. I don't want this. And, you're, and you turn to look to, to Jesus in the scriptures and he says, oh, Grab onto him tighter and love, brother, because it's going to hurt even more. So you better grab onto something, grit your teeth. That's hard. You know? Yeah. Yeah. When you read some of um, Martin Luther King's just um, papers and, and just kind of instruction towards the, the nonviolent resistance, um, he would consistently talk about an internal or personal preparation that would need to come into play because that's exactly what he was talking about. We're gonna go on the street and just demonstrate that we're human in front of people and they're going to beat us because of it. You have to be ready for this. And that is one, definitely something I don't necessarily in many ways think the church is trying to do. Our evangelical vanilla brothers and sisters are trying to do per se. But at the same token, um, when it was time to go out and rally, when it was time to go out and protest this time, there were a lot of folks that were out there and there was, hey, there's mandate, don't gather so many people. Folks were gathering and folks were getting together and folks were speaking up because we had a just cause. And now here's the question that I have in addition to your question, Matt, is the call for justice more important to Christians than the call of the gospel. Because we were willing to go out to, we were, people were willing to go out for the call of justice. And many, and, and I'm one where I, hey, hey, I, I have a daughter with immune issues and I'm not trying to get around any gatherings to track anything back home. But I do wonder, does now how I demonstrate the gospel, does that have to change? I've tried to do that in just the various calls that I do and whatnot, but but there's still something to, I'm still not feel like I'm fulfilling what Jesus would be doing if he was here, even with the issues that, that I have to deal with at home. So it's a, it's a weird space to be in where we're still wrestling with 
okay, we understand what the government has told us to do. We understand the illness that, that's out there for people, um, that's, that's out there that we're all susceptible to. But the same token, is there a burden to be Jesus in the middle of all of this heavier than what we need to do? Now, I understand what, what we're talking about as well with churches who want to gather. But again, are you just trying to gather just for churchianity? to do worship music and listen to good preaching, or you want to gather together to actually demonstrate the love, the hands and feet of Jesus. So that, that's the, that's the tension that I'm wrestling between where I'm looking at saying there is a call that makes us, that makes us so we need to get out to do something. And it's the gospel, that kind of call. But at the same token, does that mean that I need to get together and put on a mask for two hours on a Sunday? So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. For me, uh, I, I think I have a funny story about this because I think being raised in an evangelical church and then it being an immigrant Vietnamese church for the longest time, I didn't know that Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. were two <laughs> different dudes. I thought they were the same guy. So in my mind growing up, I was like, wow, not only did he launch the Protestant Reformation, but he also launched a civil rights movement. I was like, who, this guy's the second coming of Jesus. Like, who can hold up to this guy? And then I go to Bible college, and then I'm like, whoa, some people, I, I find out these are two different dudes, and then some people say Martin Luther and MLK Jr. are antithetical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it's like, wow, really, where, yeah. where, did, where did we get to a place where the call for justice was antithetical to the gospel. Where was the call for justice antithetical to the Beatitudes? And and I think for me, uh, as I've been walking with Jesus, where I found so much healing and restoration and, and comfort is that the minute I stopped worrying about my eternal security was the moment that I felt the gospel take root in my life and plant me on earth. The minute when I stopped trying to escape eternal damnation, the minute I stopped trying to go to heaven, but I took seriously Jesus's words when he says, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. I think then the, con- the seeming contradiction between justice proclamation and gospel proclamation dissolved. Um, and so, yeah. I mean, I think I, uh, to to your point, Phil, I think sometimes the churches will raise the the push and the willingness to protest for justice, even over the willingness to protest to love your enemy. You know, and so I agree that there is a tension with the protest. I wonder how many of those people that are out protesting for social justice uh, have been willing to be then uh, a year ago were they out there on the, in the central parks protesting for the gospel, meaning meeting their neighbors, discussing, you know, or going to homeless shelters and uh, actually living out the gospel. And my curiosity will be, will they be, will the folks that have been uh, uh, vocal with the protests uh, for Black Lives Matter, which is something that is necessary, but for those folks, uh, are they also just as vocal as the need to love the other so we're protesting because of so it's always the motivation right what are you out there for and then the 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 parallel is are those churches that are getting together sundays okay are they uh doing it what is the motivation 
you know, because could you not, again, the Holy Spirit here, is the Holy Spirit this unifying truth within the church, or is the Holy Spirit simply a force that can only be felt when we're actually in each other's presence? And presence is a hard thing. If you go back and you watch the New Wine Tastings with Tony Chris, they talk a lot about presence. What does it mean to be in each other's presence? Because at least maybe you guys have, and I pray, I mean, I, I sort of asked for the Lord to do this, but I think it would scare the crap out of me if Jesus actually appeared, you know, or if on my, one of my runs, all of a sudden he spoke to me and said, Matt, and I think I would fall, you know, but in my years of living, I've never been physically with Jesus where I grabbed onto him and I, you know, and yet we talk about his presence all the time. And so can that not be the truth on Sunday mornings when we're doing this Zoom? Uh, is the Lord still present and are we still present with one another? You know, and then second to that, when it comes to this proclamation of living the truth out, why is it though that, again, Tony, to your point, we've separated justness with uh, evangel evangelical motives, you know, evangelical truth that if you're preaching that God has come to save and is salvation, are you not preaching God is just, you know, because there's no hierarchy of human uh, in the kingdom of God. And like uh, uh, with this idea, and I think it's um, because we've gotten so bound up with certain authors uh, within the evangelical church um, where they just have these sexy, edgy kind of sayings, you know, uh, at one time, uh, Driscoll was uh, quoted as saying that he needed a Jesus who could kick some ass, you know, and just this, uh, and we had this idea of men wild at heart. And yes. And then the, the women would be pushed, uh, put to their side and they would go get their little nest eggs and they would all get together and they would, you know, and there was this such categorization of, oh, well, you are a female Christian. This is what you do. You are a male Christian. This is what you do. And then that has almost expanded to, well, you are a black Christian, you are a brown Christian, you're a white Christian, this is what you're concerned about, this is what you're, where's the unity, right? These div dividing walls almost are perpetuated by us, you know, we continue to divide one another by categorizing one another, as opposed to stepping into this truth of, well, in the kingdom of God, and when Jesus is preaching it, the reason why he gives this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is because what's happened enemy has been transformed into neighbor and then the next step is neighbor what once we're loving them so much into us so they become neighbor enemy to neighbor to then what you are now my brothers and sisters you know and so there's this transformation of personhood and i feel like the church has lost sight of some of the voices that in the 1800s you know 1600s that were speaking into it the the likes of the nietzsche's and the the jung's and the the Kierkegaards and these uh, philosophers who are saying, hey, look, here is the human dilemma. I wrestled, Freud got into it because of the sexuality of the human and said that we all have this. Well, think about how much we talk about the, the talk about antithetical, but negative view of sexuality. You know, it's always a negative. It's seeking to draw you uh, down and pull you down. Whereas it's just part of the humanness, right? Uh, one cultural encounters, uh, edition, uh, uh, the late, uh, uh, I think it's Stan Grenz talked about Imago Dei and the, the identity of the human. And so I wonder within that context of the loss of understanding person, where Jung talks about we all have this shadow, the propensity towards evil, 
if you don't see yourself in um in the murderer in the rapist you know in the pedophile like these just despicable disgusting acts we so define the love the acts to define the person you know as opposed to the person then going and and defining those acts you know and so i'm wondering with what we've been talking about is uh, uh, how then, though, does the church get back to its core? Okay, how does the church get back to in the midst of COVID nineteen? I haven't seen any evangelical leader or church leader, which begs the question: Have we gotten to a point? Maybe this is what they're talking about post Christendom, where there are no church leaders that you can look to that are speaking that actually go across. You know, in the '60s, you couldn't look to Dr. King as this the voice of the church because he was one of the most hated individuals. Yet in 2020, we we raise him up as if everyone loved him during his time. The Christians do the same with Jesus, don't we? Oh, first Jesus, what a lover and great guy! And yet, how many times do you read? You know, he slithered. You know, like not slither. That's a connotation of a snake but like he 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 snuck away right like he 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 they wanted to come and get him and yet he just removed himself because all the time his life was under death threat what about the american christian can they even understand the gospel message because do we ever come under death threat i think uh when, when we look at the american church the greatest mission field is American Christianity. I, I think American Christians need to experience either a conversion or a reconversion. I think there's something to be said about us um, having drank our Kool-Aid for so long and, and experiencing our privilege um, and our status within society that we, we really need to reconsider and, and have a moment of repentance and come to the foot of the cross and really take up our own cross. I think I, so I think looking ahead, I think we exist in a post Christendom society and we're all structures within this post Christendom society. I think um, secularism inhabits a post Christendom society. I think evangelicalism, I think ex evangelicalism, I think we all exist in this decaying power structure. And, and so moving forward for us to be faithful Christians, it's, it's a willing to be converted away from our American experience of Jesus into a more robust beatitude uh, like experience of the Christian life. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting with the Beatitudes. You've been talking about the Beatitudes. Uh, people will look at chapter five and say, this is, you can't live this way. You know, blessed are they. And then it goes into six. And what does Jesus say? This is, you know, pray the, the prayer that I'm telling you that you focus on the Father, thy will be done. Um, and then in seven, he talks about the fruits of your labor, you know, the, the trees bearing fruit that they will bear fruit and people look at this passage, you know, and I think one of the big things that is missed in this is thy will be done means that you understand thy first before you understand whose will, right? You have to understand the who behind the will giving. And that goes into then, well, 
what does it mean to be this new creation in Christ, Imago Dei, created in the image of God. So Christ came, and in the context of America 2020, I think living out the life of Jesus would be and is what Jesus was talking about with the human, it is impossible. And so that you need the groups during the week, like Phil was mentioning, his prayer group, book club, these groups that you gather, whether it's Zoom or not, to be encouraging. Because during the, the week now, I think the biggest thing facing the church is just learning how to love people when we're out during the day, whether they're wearing masks, not wearing masks, you know, uh, whether or not the government says, hey, we should meet. This school thing is going to be the biggest issue for a lot of uh, churches and Christians because whether or not to send your kids to school, do you go with, uh, which tends to be, and unfortunately it's being politicized, but uh, folks from uh, the right side of the pol political spectrum tend to be pushing more towards going to school. Uh, folks on the left might be saying, hey, let's go online. So where does the church fall, you know? And how do we enter into this with not just like this willingness to be um, uh, friendly, but an actual willingness to step in with love, knowing that when we suffer, uh, Dr. King was uh, quite, uh, uh, would, would, would quote uh, Gandhi quite a bit. And even Gandhi said, look, when we step up for the movement of the people, we have to understand that blood will be shed. It will be our blood. That's what Dr. King talked about. And then Gandhi said, and some of us will die, you know, and Dr. King even said, you know, it's, it's going to cost some of us our lives. And like you were saying, Phil, there was also times where he would say, now's the time to step up though. And the standing up though means that if there's going to be a life that would be lost, it would probably be from our side and not the people that we are pushing back against. That's this, truth that I don't think the Christian church wants to tell its people that, hey, look, if you step up for the name of Jesus, you might be the one beaten up. You might lose a position or, or an employment opportunity. You might be passed over for a, a job promotion. You might not go for your two to three vacations throughout the year. You know, if you're given a sabbatical, then you're being asked to use those six weeks, eight weeks to find the local homeless shelter, the, the, the food pantries, and actually go and fill up. Because like you were saying, Tony, the gospel message is there's this liberation. All of a sudden, you're seeing you're able to, to be free from self in these, the flesh, right, in order to step into the spiritual living, which is the truth incarnated in my body. It's still tangible. It's still imperial meaning uh, evidential you know uh because it's word deed and i i'm not sure that that message especially in covid19 resonates with people because they're like dude i'm already feeling oppressed i can't just go to the supermarket anymore i can't just go to the mall you know amazon's great but when we start realizing we have to all shop through amazon we're like this sucks i need to get out there and go to the store you know and it's like i remember back in when the bombings happened in uh, 9 11 with the twin towers Afterwards, President Bush came out and said, they're not going to stop us. And how are we going to show that they're not going to stop us? We're going to get out there and shop. You know, we're going to get out there and be American. It's like, dang, maybe the church is, it doesn't remember what message is proclaiming. And so it's stepping back. You know how sometimes you forget, you get amnesia. And the, the quickest thing that you can remember is just the one that's right closest to us. And that's the message that maybe the church is, I don't know, 
the evangelical church is jumping into. And so we, yes, I'm out there. Black Lives Matter. Yes, good, good. I'm suffering because we're praying for the others. But ultimately, I'm pushing this message of getting out into the culture, not to be with others, but to get what I want, which is to be able to be a consumer. I don't know. Now, at the same time, remember back when, when gosh, there's a lot of stuff that was going on around 9-11, man. I remember Bush went to visit a, a mosque at the time as well um, to demonstrate. So, so there was that, pitched the pitched at the Yankees game, if I wasn't mistaken, as well. And so um, there was this idea of, hey, we're, we're, we're not going to let a, we're not going to let a terrorist group scare us versus um, a pandemic. You can't scare a pandemic. <laughs> a pandemic is not, they're, they're not, yeah, it, just, it doesn't, it doesn't care about what's happening here. And so, um, yeah, so that's why I think in many ways our approaches should be a little different when we're talking about the two. Um, but, you know, at the same token, very much of wrestling with um, kind of our critiques and objections of the church, there's still some affirmative questions that we should be asking about what is the church? What should the church be doing now? And I think as we're, um, yeah, as we're going to be doing more of these uncourt conversations, man, that should be some of the things that we approach is what, what are the affirmative steps that we should see the church doing? Um, because I think in many regards, yeah, there's a lot to object to, but um, there's still some affirmations that we need to give to, to our brothers and sisters, in particular our brothers and sisters who have opened up their doors to become a food pantry um, because there's no one in their churches who have opened up their doors to allow people to come in the building to sleep and, and just the various things that our brothers and sisters in Christ are doing those who are not complaining about masks and, and Marxism and whatever else. So, yeah. <laughs> Tony, last thoughts. Yeah. I'm, I'm blessed to be in conversation with you guys. Cause you guys fuel me up to, to live <laughs> the, the mask wearing justice proclaiming gospel. So no, Absolutely. thank you. Uh, Phil brings up some good stuff, and this is what we're going to continue next week with this idea of what is the church for? Phil brought up a brilliant point before is so often the church has become anti. This is what we're against. This is what we're against, you know, and we're seeing this play out in politics. Is it a positive message? Is it a negative message? Am am I combative or uh, uh, am I compassionate? You know, am I embracing or am I repelling? So next week, for those of you... um, who are wanting to continue to step into this. This is what we're going to be doing with the New Wine Uncorked. Uh, We're going to talk about the affirmative nature. You know, there was this idea within, especially in the California system, this idea of affirmative action. It was talking about helping uh, folks that might not have the same path. What about the church? What's the church's affirmative action? What is the church affirming in? And what are we pressing into uh, in light of COVID-19, in light of the social justice issues in light of the tensions that we're all feeling. And so make sure before you leave right now that you look right to the, it's either going to be on the other side of Phil, uh, that subscribe button right there. Make sure you subscribe to this because that way when we drop another new wine on cork to new wine tasting or new wine table talks, you will be notified. And then it also gives you the ability, you can look down there for the wine, uh, the newwine.org, newwineskins.org website to where you can contact us if you have questions, because we want to take your questions 
and start to jump into this with the new wine on court because these are issues that affect all of us, especially those who say that they love Jesus and they want to be uh, like Jesus, you know, and live out the truth of the gospel message. So join us for next week uh, for the new wine uncorked as well. We'll look for the uh, video to drop that we will be discussing the affirmative nature, the the affirming truths of the church today. So as on behalf of Phil, on behalf of Tony, this I'm Matt Farlow. This is New Wine Uncorked. We will see you on the flip side.